0: Welcome, you're listening to a podcast by the International Bolshevik Tendency, a Marxist organization fighting for international working-class revolution to overthrow global capitalism. We can be found online at bolshevik.org, on Facebook at Bolsheviks, on Twitter and YouTube at ibt1917, and Instagram at bolsheviks.org. Nineteen seventeen. The following presentation, entitled Capitalist Necrosis and Right-Wing Populism, a Marxist Analysis, was originally delivered at an online public IBT meeting on 25 September 2022. So Italy is holding general elections today, and uh, though the results won't be announced until, uh, well, exit polls are tonight, but the results won't be announced until tomorrow, it looks like a block of right-wing populist parties is expected to win. Uh, this alliance includes Matteo Salvini's Anti-Immigrant Liga, uh, which is the successor to the Liga Nord, or the Northern League in English, uh, Silvio Berlusconi's Forza Italia, and it's led by Giorgia Meloni's Brothers of Italy, uh, also known as the Fratelli d'Italia in Italian. Now, Maloney, um, who began her political career in the neo-fascist Italian social movement in the early 1990s, um, is expected to become the Prime Minister and the Brothers of Italy party, which was polling uh, first overall with uh, approximately 25% of the total vote, um, is expected to form Italy's most right-wing government uh, since the end of the Second World War. Now, during the campaign, um, the Brothers of Italy, um, whose support is projected to increase uh, nearly six times uh, from the last uh, national election in 2018, um, they campaigned on a carefully crafted message uh, that sought to downplay its far-right roots, uh, curate a conservative mainstream image, and present Maloney as what she claims is, quote, a woman, a mother, Italian, and a Christian. Now, once in power, uh, they aim to implement uh, tax cuts and reduce state expenditure, uh, slash social welfare benefits uh, for the poor, tighten Italy's immigration policy, uh, which apparently includes a naval blockade of Libya, um, and also involves curtailing the right to abortion and same-sex marriage and parenting. Now, Europe, uh, of course, is in the midst of a cost-of-living crisis and could be heading for a recession, um, partly uh, triggered by the um, NATO-led war in Ukraine, which has destabilized the entire continent. The West sanctions against uh, Russia and Russian exports have hit the Italian economy uh, hard with skyrocketing energy prices. Prior to the war, Russia was the largest exporter of fossil fuels to the European Union, accounting for approximately 30% of the EU's uh, oil imports and 40% of gas imports, uh, much of which went to uh, Italy and Germany. As the global economy lurches from crisis to crisis, uh, capitalist politicians have essentially no way out uh, but to force uh, suffering onto the working class. And in the absence of a class struggle movement uh, with broad roots uh, embedded in the working class and based on a revolutionary program, grotesque political figures like Maloney um, will necessarily emerge. And they pit various sections of working people against each other and shift blame from capitalism itself onto various minority groups while offloading the pain of the crisis onto uh, workers, the poor, and the oppressed. And at bottom, this growth of right-wing populism is a symptom Of capitalist necrosis or the morbid decay of capitalism in the imperialist epoch. Now this phenomenon of the rise of right-wing populism is taking taking place across um, the European continent where the project of an integrated capitalist European Union is fraying at the seams. In a toxic mix of economic nationalism, Xenophobia, anti-immigrant racism, and social conservatism, often with a pseudo-anti-elitist veneer, is all on the rise. Poland and Hungary, which are both ruled by ultra-conservative populists, um, they're among a number of Eastern European countries leading the effort to roll back the rights of women and LGBTQ people in the guise of defending what they call uh, traditional values, which is essentially propping up the bourgeois nuclear family. Now, Poland is governed by the Law and Justice Party, or the PIS, it's its acronym, Um, and which has bedrock support in the country's rural areas uh, with deeply uh, rooted Catholic traditions. And in Poland, abortion is unconstitutional and legally authorized only in pregnancies that threaten the women's health or have resulted from rape or incest. Last year in Hungary, uh, Viktor Orban's Fidesz party, uh, which is also known as the Hungarian uh, Civic Alliance, they passed explicitly homophobic and transphobic legislation that prohibits portraying or promoting same-sex and trans content in schools and TV programs aimed at those under 18. And that law comes not long after same-sex couples were banned from adopting children and it restricted the definition of the family family unit uh, solely to parents which quote in which quote the mother the mother is a woman And the father is a man. And even in those European countries in which uh, populist parties, populist right-wing parties, uh, do not directly govern, they are now sizable fixtures and uh, viewed as viable electoral uh, electoral alternatives. So, for example, in Holland, uh, there's the anti-immigrant party of freedom, led by Geert Wilders. Uh, Austria has its own Freedom Party uh, of Austria, uh, known as the FPO by its acronym. And both Spain's Vox Party and Belgium's VLAMS BELONG, or VB for short, uh, they've also been gaining ground recently. And just two weeks ago, in the Swedish general election, the anti-immigrant Sweden Democrats, which were born out of the neo-Nazi movement at the end of the 1980s, they finished second overall in balloting, with 20%. And they're set to be the largest party in the new ruling right-wing coalition government. Of course, in Britain, the election of uh, the buffoonish Boris Johnson as British Prime Minister in 2019 uh, was an attempt, to some extent, to uh, channel a populist sentiment back into the Conservative Party in the wake of the 2016 Brexit referendum. <clears throat> and this saw uh, forces inside and outside the party uh, successfully directing popular dissatisfaction among sections of the working class and the petty bourgeoisie, um, channeling it onto foreigners and away from their own ruling class. And Liz Trust, Trust, pardon me, Uh, Liz Truss, who's the new British uh, Prime Minister, uh, is likely to attempt the same strategy. And so far, the Tories uh, have prevented consolidation of an electoral alternative to their right. Although there have been um, some significant street mobilizations in Britain as of late. Now, in Germany, uh, the racist, anti-Muslim, and nationalist alternative for Deutschland, or the AFD, Uh, They garnered 10% of the vote in last year's federal election. The AFD has cultivated close ties with the military and the police, uh, while forces from the uh, anti-immigrant or immigrant-hating PEGIDA organization all the way to openly fascist elements are active within the ADF and they're using it essentially as a recruiting ground and to inspire far-right attacks on migrants and refugees. So, for example, in August of 2018, the AFD helped organize uh, protests in the eastern German city of Chemnitz, um, at which thousands of neo-Nazis marauded uh, through the streets, screaming, Chemnitz is ours! Foreigners out! And terrorized, of course, the local immigrant population. And in France, Uh, Marine Le Pen's far-right Rassemblement national, which of course is the heir to the fascist front national. um, They've made it to the second round in the country's uh, last two presidential elections. In just April of this year, Le Pen once again faced off against the lifeless technocrat and uh, president of the rich, uh, Emmanuel Macron. And Le Pen, of course, won uh... some forty one percent of the vote now across the atlantic in the united states the dominant uh, figure on the populist right is of course donald trump and he retains a captive hold on much of the republican base uh... with almost sixty percent of republican voters in fairly recent polls Uh, backing his highly anticipated bid to regain the presidency in 2024. Now, much was made of uh, Joe Biden's recent claims um, that Trump and the mega-Republicans are what he called, quote, semi-fascist and, quote, represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Now, of course, this plays well with uh, the base of the Democratic Party, but it inaccurately suggests that the U.S. is on the precipice of a fascist dictatorship if the Republicans and Trump were to win again in 2024. Incapable and unwilling to provide any any real uh, alternative to the GOP, the Democrats' political strategy essentially boils down to shoring up support among a thin layer of liberals, those who favor identity politics, posturing over actual policies that will make a real difference uh, to the American working class, as well as appealing to affluent uh, white suburbanites. Basically, um, that layer of American society with the most money to donate and who most consistently turn up at election time. Now, despite... um, all Biden's hyperbole, uh, Trump has become a mouthpiece for a diverse layer of anti-vaxxers, evangelicals, transphobes and anti-abortionists, pseudo-intellectuals that are fixated on the culture war, culture war, um, as well as disaffected um, young men, largely young men, on YouTube and TikTok. And, of course, he has also emboldened elements um, ranging from the alt-right to openly pro-fascists by making use of anti-immigrant bigotry and nativism, uh, his male chauvinist bravado and his appeals to the downtrodden with economic nationalism and promises to, uh, as he calls it, make America great again. Um, And, of course, his baseless claims to have won the rigged November 2020 Uh, presidential elections, and his continued refusal to recognize Biden's victory, uh, even at this point, Um, all of this really suggests um, very authoritarian impulses and a cavalier disregard for uh, bourgeois democratic norms. And uh, certainly the uh, January 2021 storming of the U.S. Capitol by thousands of Trump supporters, um, While it wasn't the fascist-inspired coup uh, that it was often portrayed to be, um, it certainly was a significant warning of what might follow if these forces are allowed to grow. Now, north of the border um, in Canada, which is where I'm from, uh, earlier this year we had our own uh, Trumpian-style protests and blockades against COVID vaccine mandates and restrictions. Which um, became dubbed the Freedom Convoy. Um, <clears throat> it was initially uh, sparked by the ending of exemptions for vaccine requirements for truckers that were crossing the border between Canada and the United States. Um, but the Freedom Convoy, as a whole, um, it morphed into something much bigger, of course, and brought together a heterogeneous collection of uh, malcontents that ranged. From those that were justly upset by the government's mishandling of COVID 19, Um, but it also included uh, uh, right wing conservatives uh, and anti science and anti vaccine fanatics, as well as some overt and covert uh, pro fascist elements. Um, And it also uh, garnered a fairly significant uh, support among layers of the military, the Canadian military. And law enforcement, who publicly, some of whom publicly endorsed the protest and claimed to have what they called, uh, quote, boots on the ground at the Ottawa encampment. And um, some of these elements um, also provided the core component of the convoy's security detail. Of course, in the end, uh, Liberal Prime Minister Justin Trudeau dealt with the protesters by invoking the Draconian Emergencies Act which was then used to ban uh, all public assemblies that the government deemed illegal and dangerous. And it also gave the police more tools to restore order, as they put it. Um, And among other things, imposed fines of up to $5,000 and five years in jail. Uh, This, of course, was a gross attack on civil liberties and a dangerous precedent that um, revolutionaries oppose. Because of course, yesterday, uh, such legislation is aimed at the Freedom Convoy, but the same authoritarian measures tomorrow will be used against the working class and the left. Uh, For example, um, marches against racist police terror or um, direct actions by climate activists, I mean, among many other examples. The... Imperialist world order is a necrotic empire in decline. It is an economic system that combines incredible concentration of wealth in the hands of a tiny few, along with very limited social mobility for the vast majority of us. And the COVID-19 pandemic over the last two and a half years has only aggravated the growing disparity between the super rich and the poor the uh, non-profit Paris-based uh, World Inequality Lab uh, recently found the following. Quote, Global inequalities seem to be about as great today as they were at the peak of Western imperialism in the early 20th century. 2020 marked the steepest increase in global billionaire's share of wealth on record. End quote. And that report went on to identify that approximately 100 million more people in 2020 sank into extreme poverty, which brought the total number to approximately uh, 700 million. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, the parasitic billionaire class, which is a tiny layer of some 2,500 of the planet's ultra-rich, their collective worth is now approximately $12.7 trillion. That's 2,500 people. And since the onset of the COVID crisis, US billionaires alone have seen their combined wealth increase $1.7 trillion, which is a gain of over 58% during the pandemic. This is how the billionaires have done in the last two and a half years. And of course, the American billionaires are led by the likes of Elon Musk with approximately $219 billion in wealth and followed by Jeff Bezos with $171 billion. Now, while the COVID-19 disaster has certainly exacerbated the crisis tendencies of global capitalism, it by no means caused them. Uh, They are the inevitable result of the built-in contradictions of a system whose fundamental metric is profit. Over the last 40 years, uh, the working class internationally has seen stagnating living standards, declining trade union membership, a less equitable income distribution, and the funneling of wealth to the top 0.1% of the population. The Rand Corporation, which is a U.S. think tank, uh, put out a publication not long ago that estimated that since 1975, America's top 1% has siphoned off $50 trillion from the bottom 90% simply through an upward upward redistribution of income, not wealth, just income. Now, while the personal wealth of the world's leaders, politicians, and billionaires soars to unheard of heights, much of this is hidden through corruption, tax avoidance, and money laundering schemes. And this crisis of capitalist accumulation has now converged with the economic fallout from the war in Ukraine, which has largely triggered an energy crisis and record-breaking inflationary rates. Prices for virtually all consumer goods in the US increased over 8% over the last 12 months. And the cost of food alone rose 11.4% over the last year, which is the steepest hike since uh, 1979. While Biden and the Democrats have done uh, very little uh, to alleviate the impact of rising inflation on working class families, they have provided over $40 billion, or $110 million a day, in security assistance to Ukraine over the last year to pursue their imperialist ambitions abroad. Now, in the European Union, uh, annual inflation was over 10% collectively, for all EU countries, in August, uh, threatening to impoverish tens of millions. The cost of living has now become the most important issue for uh, those in Britain, France, Germany, and Poland. Britain has seen its energy prices double in the last year uh, despite recently announced huge subsidies to the energy companies. Inflation is um, forecast to reach uh, about 11% this year and the Bank of England has now declared the shrinking economy to be in recession, so not surprisingly, the energy crisis and the inflation are expected to fuel f- further uh, social unrest, protests, and strikes strikes across uh, Europe. So all of this collectively the the inflation, uh, the ongoing pandemic, the corruption, the co- climate crisis, uh, the conflict in Ukraine, and the renewed threat of an inter imperialist war. All of this together has bred uh, deep frustration among wide, wide layers of society and created perfect storm conditions for the rise of the populist right. Uh, the first couple of decades of the uh, post-Soviet era uh, were dominated by pro-capitalist ideology and neoliberalism in which the magic of the free market and free market mechanisms uh, was never questioned. Uh, the financial crisis of 19, of 2007-2008 uh, uh, and its aftermath uh, were convulsive shocks to the system. And it ended up tarnishing the image of neoliberal orthodoxy uh, while further eroding the material basis that propped up the political institutions of uh, bourgeois democracy. With this decomposition, and the accompanying uh, political polarization, the traditional parties of the ruling class uh, became increasingly incapable of containing the uh, social contradictions that were surging at the bottom of society. And into that void uh, has stepped the populist right. Gaining appeal by preying upon the genuine concerns of what right-wing populists call the common people, Um, Rightist political demagogues um, end up channeling popular outrage into openly anti-democratic and reactionary ends that uh, seek to divide the working class along lines of race, nationality, ethnicity, gender, among others. And they represent, at bottom, um, that wing of the uh, ruling class that's opted to pursue a particularly vile and brutal solution to the inevitable crises engendered by global capitalism, Uh, all the while uh, dispensing with the pro-forma tributes to liberal liberal democratic values that we often hear in the West. Now, although the particular form um, of right-wing populism can vary from country to country, the connective tissue... um, between countries is a professed hatred of the dominant ideological framework of economic neoliberalism and woke identity politics. And this is often combined with um, a willingness to fundamentally rejig the world order and overhaul the post-World War II institutions that underpin it. So, um, institutions like the UN, the EU, the IMF, the World Bank, and NATO. Now, it's true that contemporary um, right-wing populism is an important recruiting ground for fascists. But uh, much of right-wing populism itself is not, strictly speaking, uh, fascist. In writing about Germany in the early 1930s, uh, Leon Trotsky observed the following, and this is a quote from him from, I think, 1932, as just prior to Hitler and the Nazis taking uh, power in early 1933. So, this is Trotsky. <clears throat> Quote Fascism is a particular governmental system based on the uprooting of all elements of proletarian or working class a democracy within bourgeois society. Through the fascist agency, capitalism sets in motion the masses of the crazed petty bourgeoisie and the bands of declassed and demoralized lumpen proletariat, all the countless human beings whom, find, whom Finance capital itself has brought to desperation and frenzy. When a state turns fascist, Trotsky says, the workers' organizations are annihilated. The proletariat is reduced to an amorphous state, and a system of administration is created which penetrates deeply into the masses and which serves to frustrate the independent crystallization of the proletariat. Therein, precisely, is the gist of fascism. End quote. Now, this does not accurately describe the vast majority of variants of right-wing populist parties today. <clears throat> they, by and large, remain primarily electoral uh, vehicles operating within the framework of bourgeois uh, legality. And unlike fascist seizures of power, like Hitler's in January of 33, which are essentially acts of political counter-revolution, That is, a fundamental change in the nature and the personnel of the ruling political regime without changing the mode of production at the base of society, in this case capitalism. Um, Right-wing populists seek political reform. Crucially, what demagogues from Trump to Viktor Orban to Matteo Salvini, what they lack is a mass street-based violent alternative which is a defining feature of fascism. And while clearly um, born out of genuine uh, concern about the threat of the far right, we believe that inaccurately applying the label fascist to any and all distasteful ideologues or unsavory political outfits only adds confusion, not clarity because the most effective way to prevent fascists from assembling, from marching or marching and spewing their poisonous filth, is by ruthlessly crushing them through uh, the mass mobilization of their intended victims, first and foremost workers and the oppressed. However, dealing with right-wing populists requires a more nuanced approach that recognizes the reasons why working people are often attracted to uh, these movements while providing a class struggle alternative to much of what motivates working class elements that ultimately get suckered in by the far right <clears throat> on issues such as housing, healthcare, employment, cost of living, and so on. Now, in those situations where um, populists and fragments of the far right converge, like uh, that example of the Freedom Convoy and um, or the storming of the US Capitol, um, The task uh, for us is to, and the working class, um, is to identify the fascists involved in these actions, if possible, uh, isolate them within the action taking place, physically confront them, and drive them from the streets. At the same time, politically neutralizing the much larger populist component. So we think that this can best be done through Uh, United Front actions of the workers movement, which of course included the trade unions, but also organizations of the oppressed and other potential victims of the fascists. Not by the capital Security Police, not by Trudeau's uh, draconian legislation that we saw in Canada earlier this year. So not by the capitalist state. Now each situation... um, should be judged on the balance of forces involved. We don't want to be adventuristic. Um, As well as the immediate danger um, posed to workers and the oppressed. Um, So when fascists, um, for example, mobilize en masse alongside hard-right populists in order to carry out violent attacks, um, like that example I gave in Chemnitz in Germany in 2018, a class struggle leadership would aim to effectively shut down that entire action. We're not simply talking about isolating ones or twos at that point, but confronting the entire action. Now, um, the ruling class and its political representatives um, are, for the most part, not facing any kind of serious threat from an an upsurge in a combative labor movement. And... um, Though, of course, some of the more far righted elements, more far righted and far sighted elements among the ruling class, um, recognize the inherent dangers uh, with the heightened social rest that's on the horizon. But for the most part, um, they really do not have need to resort to extra legal paramilitaries, uh, fascists, uh, to subdue working class militancy. And for the time being, they are more or less content to channel social strife into right- wing populism and thereby um, avoid the overhead cost costs of fascist dictatorship the The working class um, has been disoriented by decades of neoliberalism pro-capitalist ideology propagated through the corporate media, and the betrayals of course by the leadership of the uh, a workers movement. And the resurgence of right-wing populism is a byproduct of this decay of bourgeois democracy in the imperialist epoch, which itself is simply the result of the capitalist mode of production in, in its death throes. And as the world teeters, the world economy, uh, teeters on yet another um, serious economic downturn, uh, the coming social dis- discontent will necessarily find political outlets as people search Uh, working people search for uh, solutions and absent a revolutionary alternative uh, populists like uh, Georgia Maloney or Marine Le Pen or Geert Wilders and so on um, they'll continue to emerge and gain widespread support among millions of uh, tens of millions of people so revolutionaries um, in these types of situations uh, must seek to mobilize uh, working people around a program that not only addresses their immediate needs but does so in a manner that creates a bridge to a workers or a soviet government in the first and initial stages of the transition to uh, socialism. So in the current context uh, such a transitional program would include um, some of the following demands Uh, but it's not limited to these but these would be among the you know some of the more immediate ones. Number one, an immediate price cap on food, energy, and housing. Number two, wages should be pegged to inflation to ensure an automatic rise in pay in relation to an increase in the price of consumer goods. Three, a shorter work week with no loss in pay so that you can equitably distribute the um, available amount of work among the available workforce and thereby draw in uh, layers of the unemployed. Number four, uh, expropriate the commanding heights of the economy, so finance, heavy industry, healthcare, transport, communications, um, without compensation, under workers' control. Number five, trade union linked defense against um, fascist violence, and that's of course independent of any reliance on the police. And number six, opposition to the drive towards inter imperialist war and calling for the defeat of all imperialist powers in any conflict. Of course, um, in any given imperialist country, the main enemy is um, at home. Now, ultimately, these six demands and a variety of other ones that are applicable to the current context um, can really only ultimately be uh, realized under a rationally planned economic system that's based on collectivized property and central planning. Uh, or socialism, Um, and really that's the only option that can lift uh, the vast majority of humanity out of the poverty, hunger, and exploitation to which capitalism has consigned them. Now, the development of um, the consciousness necessary for working people to carry out these tasks must begin with an assertion of the absolute independence from all wings of the bourgeoisie. Uh, whether neoliberal, liberal, or populist. <clears throat> and it also demands a political fight against a variety of reformist social democrats who essentially act as the political agents of the capitalist class within the workers' movement. Now, this requires uh, cohering the nucleus of any Bolshevik, a new uh, Bolshevik type party based on the political heritage of Lenin and Trotsky and committed to fight for leadership of the powerful labor movement internationally. And uh, this is a or the revolutionary perspective upon which the IBT is based and for which we fight. Thank you very much.